welcome to Film Fan Foom. I'm Shannon. This is Harry. Harry is my co-host. He's my buddy. We've known each other for forever. Oh, Forever and ever and ever. A lifetime. We're going to basically do a podcast talking about stuff that we talked about way back in the day when we were little young kids. Um, it's mostly going to be like just film and TV and animated, everything superheroes. If you've ever had it on a cape and a mask, we're going to talk about it. Yes, yes. We're going to get to it. We're going to get to it. We've got how many years? Easily have uh, 20 years experience. We have the experience, and the film industry has been... I mean, there was a Captain Marvel um, oh, yeah, they were film series back in the 40s. God, um, yes. We're going to go right back to like the deep pulls, man. Well, we're going to pull all that stuff out. Captain America serial. Uh, in 41 or 42. Captain yeah. Marvel. Yeah, yeah, Captain Batman. Marvel. Yep. So we're going to do all that. We're going to cover all of it, right? If, As you say, if it was superhero-related and it was live-action or animated, in the history of the medium of television and movies... We're going to cover it. We'll be touching on it at some point. We will. Uh, our show is going to be uh, lovingly rendered. Uh, we're going to be a critical at times, but we're going to give our thoughts uh, on what was going on at the time in terms of comic books, how uh, close they were to the movies, what they changed in the movies in order to make them more mainstream, for example. Yes. Um, and we're going to reference the source material if 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 there was source material that they were, you know that they that they uh, pulled from. Everything to do with superheroes um, on, on film and television. So, to begin with, in order for everyone to understand who we are, who the hell we are. <laughs> <laughs> who are we? We're going to talk about, alright, so let's go right back, Harry. I first got into comics, uh, I'm going to say about age six or seven, that was with Archie Comics. I graduated, of course, like every young fellow will, to uh, superhero comic books. Some of the earliest memories I have of superhero comics... I uh, was reading DC's Blue Ribbon Digest, reprints of 60s and 70s Batman Superman stories. I can vividly remember um, the Superman story, the red and blue Superman, the original 1950s one. Not the one that they did in the 90s, that was garbage. The original, just, it, it, was, it was amazing to think, well, wait a minute, you're going to be Superman who's all dressed in red, you're Superman all dressed in blue. And you're both going out with different chicks. This is awesome. What could happen? <laughs> it was great. It was uh, great. I remember what got me into comic books. I I picked up some comic book special where Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman were all on a baseball team and they were taking on the Sportsmaster. The Sportsmaster. The Sportsmaster. Wow. He was just like this guy in like a baseball costume with like white face on. He was just... <laughs> It was something, man. He's wow. like, I'm going to make you play sports. <laughs> so, no! So his, 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 his idea of revenge is to make Superman, the Man of Steel, be the greatest sports hero of all that's time. That's right. That's right. I'll make you play sports, Batman. <laughs> I'm going right, to do what so Joker it, couldn't. Is it fair to say that the earliest memories for... for I, can, I can say it for myself. I was a DC fan by default more than Marvel growing up as a young child because Batman and Superman were so prevalent in pop culture. Mm-hmm. Like, you know who they are without reading a comic book because you've seen something somewhere, whether it be Underdog, whether it be Mighty Mouse, whether it be um, in comic books or, or um, newspapers, TV, cartoons, you're going to see Batman and Superman. Is it fair to say, by default, you were a DC guy before you were a Marvel guy? Not in terms of television, and not in terms of television, that sort of media. Mm. 
for me, what got me involved with the television aspect of it, which I'm going to say is going to be the gateway drug for a lot of people who got into <laughs> Marvel television. Right. 1967 Spider-Man. Okay, all right. I'll, I'll agree with you. My earliest memories of not even having cable growing up in, in Newfoundland, Canada, where we're from. Mm -hmm. uh, no cable. All we had, NTV, CBC, but Spider-Man came three, on. Channel 3, Channel 5 is what we had. But Spider-Man came on. He was on NTV. It was I on. remember at a very early age, man, while I was a very young lad, my mom would feed me lunch, and we were watching <laughs> Spider-Man. <laughs> And when you're a kid, you don't really realize that this is, like, already, like, 30 years old by that point. Like, you don't oh. realize. Like, to you, it's all new and fresh, Exactly. Right? So you're just watching it going, this Spider-Man guy's pretty Spider -Man cool. Spider-Man would swing past the same building eight times on that series, and, and I wouldn't care. question it. Wouldn't question it, no. Um, I mean, he defied physics with his webs on a constant oh, he basis. Would just, he know? would just swing from nothing. Yeah. And I was just like, man, I, this is who I want to be when I grow up. Um... Spider-Man is, of course, the um, probably most recognizable mascot for Marvel. He's the Marvel guy. He's the everyman character mm -hmm. for Marvel. I agree with you. I, too, grew up watching the Spider-Man 67 series. Um, I don't remember. You'll have to educate me. I don't remember if there was an awful lot of crossover with other Marvel characters in that. There was a lot of Rogue's Gallery. Oh, God, no. Spider-Man's Rogue's he Gallery. Never, there, there, nobody else made any... It's not like it is today. Yeah. Where shows are just magnet with each other superheroes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 67 Spider-Man, the only one time he teamed up with anybody, they made up a hero called Skyboy. I don't remember that one. Skyboy. Yeah. Oh, this is in the third season, man, when Spider-Man went right off the rails. They just... Like when, oh, that's when it got really extra. In crazy. season two, when Ralph Bashke took over mm -hmm. for like uh, doing the um, animation of that, mm -hmm. he looked at the first season, you know, with like Electro and the Vulture, like all those guys. The Rose Gallery. Yeah. He King looked King. at that and he was just like, "Yeah, we're gonna throw that out. We're just gonna bring in this guy. Yeah, he has lightning powers, but I'm calling him Doctor Zap. Doctor Zap. Doctor Zap." Yeah, I, I mean, I remember that show was pretty trippy for a kid, but it's awesome at the same time. Because oh. Spider-Man was, he wasn't just a crime fighter in an urban environment. You know what I mean? He wasn't just the guy, he was a blue-collar hero. He was basically a science fiction hero in he that was. series. He was he was fighting interdimensional aliens. Oh, stuff was going on. Like, the, the one episode of that, honest to God, and it frightens the hell out of me to even think about it, is the time when he fought the same guy, and they used this in an, in an episode of Rocket Robin Hood. Uh, the Infinata from Dimension Yeah, they five. stole the animation, didn't they? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's, that's just such a trippy episode. <laughs> it is, yeah. yeah. I, I do recall that one. So, yes, we grew up, obviously, like, glorious 80s, right? And we accepted that when we grew up, I can remember, vividly remember, in St. Peter's Elementary, when you and I read in a comic book, it was a Stan Lee soapbox, where he said, folks, coming to NBC, I think it was NBC, pretty sure it was, yeah, it was NBC. Coming to NBC on this day, the Hulk's gonna fight Thor. And you and I were like, mind friggin' blown. Blown. <laughs> because we were a bit too older in our generation to have seen the first run of Incredible Hulk. Well, this was what, 1989? I want to say it's 1989. I think it was 89, yeah. 89. Yeah. Uh, if he, like, he could have came out and told I was 88. Us, I think it was 88. Like, they could have told us World War Three was happening. Mm -hmm. And it's just, yeah, but the Hulk is going to fight Thor yeah. on TV. Yeah. And uh, I, that, hold on my calls. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. It's, true. it's true. Yeah, it's true. Um, so, yeah, like, we were a bit 
our generation, I mean, obviously our generation was, I mean, I would call it the mid to late 80s. But you got to think about it. We didn't have any exposure to that old Hulk TV show. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't recall that show being in syndication. Because that movie was called The Return of the Incredible Hulk. And then only after that I watched that, I got to thinking, wait, what did he return from? Yeah. Like, what happened? You mean there's a TV show about this guy? Yeah, for years, yeah. I agree with you. I, uh, my, we'll call it gateway. My gateway for Incredible Hulk on TV, because we didn't see it in syndication at the time, was those TV movies. Um, the Hulk, Thor one, the trial of the Incredible Hulk, and finally the death of the Incredible Hulk. Yes. Um, and apparently they were going to make more, even though they call that one the death of the Incredible Hulk. They casted a woman as She-Hulk, and were going to make a spin-off She-Hulk. Right. Yeah. Because, I mean, all those TV movies were just attempts at spinoffs. That, they were all backdoor pilots for spinoffs. They didn't get that in because Bill Bixby got sick, right? As far as I understand the story, yeah. 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 But they casted, uh, I don't remember, Gabrielle somebody, she was a soccer person. Like a, um, either soccer or volleyball, she was an Australian woman. And, I mean, she looked, if you look at it now, just look it up, just Google, like, She-Hulk uh, TV show, Bill Bixby. They filmed scenes on a beach with him that were supposed to spin off to a She-Hulk TV show. But she might not have been green. They're saying she might have been gold. Oh, that would have owned. <laughs> but she would have been gold. That's so... Who cares? <laughs> but she's a she-hole. But it was 1989. I know. We accepted it. We accepted it. It was it. Yeah. If, if Kerr and Harry got in a time machine and went back and told lunchtime St. Peter's Elementary, Jen and Harry, you're going to see the Avengers on a big screen fighting Ultron. That's true. And it's going to be the greatest thing ever. Yeah. That's true. That's true. I think you and I at the time would have just been upset at the fact that Bill Bixby and uh, Lou Ferrigno weren't in it. You know what I mean? What do you mean CGI Monster Hulk? We want to see a guy dressed up. What's a computer? Yeah. CGI. All right. So um, we grew up obviously in the glorious time frame where we accepted whatever we could, right? We were obviously less critical because we were children. So we didn't realize, hey, we're allowed to be critical about stuff that well, might we not be great. We watched all with the magical wonder of being a child. Yeah. And you know what? That extended right up through. I don't think I disliked anything in terms of um, in terms of science fiction or, or superheroes. I didn't dislike things until I got older and more bitter. <laughs> but when I grew up, whatever, I mean, Superman 4, I'll watch that, you know? I'm, I'm in. I'm watching it. I'll sit down and care. watch it and I won't even complain. It's, that's my point. You'll accept it because you're just grateful to have it. Nuclear you know? Man is my boy. Yeah, you're just grateful to have it. So we're going to be basically talking about, we're going to break it down in terms of, um, we're going to choose something old. Mm-hmm. Old to us, I guess you could say. like um, Classic. Classic. One of the classics. Classic, yeah. Shakespearean almost. <laughs> so we're going to do that. And conversely, we're going to talk about something current. We're going to get current. And we're also going to reveal our thoughts on who we thought could have been, should have been, might have been cast as superhero characters who may or may not have ever been given their due. So this particular episode, we'll get to it, but this particular episode, you you picked a really good one that we're going to talk about. The pitch of the week. The pitch of the week. The pitch of the week. It's a great casting call. Um, so if we're going to talk about old DC, retro DC... We're going to talk about new Marvel. That's how we're going to mix it up. Yes. So if it's old Marvel, it's new DC. So that's how we're going to mix it up. Fortunately for us, there's a lot of source material we can pull from. We're going to be doing this podcast for a long time to come. Oh, totally. All right. So let's talk about, for the first debut episode, Harry Weir, I have to talk about what I consider, personally, in my own opinion, the greatest 
comic book movie of all time. Absolutely. It's a movie that we feel both very strongly about. Very, very strongly. I love every frame of this movie. Every line. Every, every line. Every, every utterance. Every, every second of this movie. Everything about this movie I adore. I worship. Okay. I'm talking about the 1989 Batman movie directed by Tim Burton starring Michael Keaton as Batman with Jack Nicholson as the Joker and a cast of hundreds from there. Um, to go into it at the time, it was 1987-88. DC Comics had just come off of a crisis on Infinite Earths. They redid the entire history, which they do all they the time. They retconned everything. They retconned everything. That tradition which continues even to this day. <laughs> I want to say that that was the golden period. And I can go on and on. I won't, but I can go on and on. It's a golden period for me in terms of comic books, my collecting. I was 13 years old, going into, between the ages of 13 to 17, was when I really was the comic book guy. And... Mm. As much as I did enjoy Marvel, that was what was hooking me into DC. That worked. The Crisis on Infinite Earths gave me that fresh start that I went, oh, wow, that's a Superman number one. And I picked it up. And a Batman and all this. I, to this day, will say in terms of comic books, I personally think that Crisis was great. But my favorite limited series of story in comic history has been and will continue to be uh, A Death in the Family for Batman. Yes. So I was coming off of, in 1988, I was coming off of reading some of, to this day, the best Detective Comics, the best Batman comics. That was a stellar, outstanding run in the late 80s. Um, I was reading Superbad Adventures of Superman. I was reading the post-crisis stuff. Um, everything DC I was reading. If it had that little DC bullet, I read it. Okay? You were all over it. I was all over it. So I think that my first knowledge that they were making a Batman live-action movie was through Dennis O'Neill's column from the den in the back of Detective Comics. Similar to Stan's Soapbox, where they would reveal upcoming projects. And I remember thinking, geez, that's... Because they talked about, this was about around the summer of 88. They said, this time next year, it's going to be Batmania. You're gonna, it's going to be big. We're making a Batman movie. And I remember thinking, wow, like a Batman movie. Because, I mean, of course, I grew up with Superman. Yeah. And, of course, I grew up with... Uh, the last we, Batman we, that we had on TV at that point was old Adam West running around. Right. And we only saw the Adam West one in reruns um, on Switchback, a Canadian TV show called Switchback. Exactly. They would play, like, 15-minute clips at a time. And it was just cheesy and, like, you know, enjoyable. But I, I, I think I was young enough to be a little bit concerned, like, what are they going to do? You were ready. You were ready for your Batman to be grim and gritty. I was. But I was concerned because I was actively reading all of the Batman titles at the time, loving every bit of it, and I was concerned, what are they going to do? Is Robin going to be in it? Like, how's it going to work? So I was a little bit concerned. What Do you remember the genesis point from when you found out this is going to be a thing? There's going to be a new Batman movie? See, for me, I didn't really read it so much in the comic book. Mm. Uh, for me, I found out about it probably the same time as everybody else does. Now remember, we're living in a world where there's no internet. No internet, yeah. No Twitter, no Facebook, That's right. nothing like that. The marketing for this movie was like a juggernaut. You just woke up one day and the bat symbol was every... Like they were actually trying to summon him. Yeah. Like they were calling It was everywhere. It was at McDonald's. It was at Burger King. You couldn't go anywhere without someone with a bat t-shirt on or a Batman hat. Or there were people 
that were attending our school um, that actually carved the bat symbol into their heads. They would get the... Yes, the, the Batcocks. The Batcocks, you know. Um, I read a lot of Comic Scene Magazine. Do you remember Comic Scene Magazine? Yes. I read that. I, I read some of the, like, you know, the, what, what, what extended in, in terms of... Um, you, you'd see, like, set visits and set reports and, oh, that's what it's going to look like. Or maybe there's a hint of what he's going to look like there. So it's slowly built, but you're right. It reached a big critical point long before the movie came out. This is probably the biggest... There must have been a seven to eight month lead-up process to hyping you up for this movie, right? And, I mean, in a day before the internet, you're going to every magazine and they were... I mean, keep in mind, they were talking about this every issue of Batman and Detective Comics. Oh, yeah. Because they knew we got to hook the people reading these comics. We want your asses in the seats. What was your first reaction? Did it matter to you who was playing Batman? I was young enough not to care. I know that today people talk about there was a big negative reaction to Michael Keaton, but I didn't care. I was like, hey, it's Batman. Yeah, I, I didn't have much of a reaction to... Keaton as Batman. Did you have any reaction to... Like, again, I was 14 years old, so I didn't have a huge reaction to Jack Nicholson as Joker. I knew who he was, vaguely. Yeah. But I was like, it's going to work... I, I just... I guess I trusted. I trusted it was going to work out. For Jack Nicholson, uh, I was a little... I was a little on the fence about Nicholson. Why? Because I thought he might have been a little bit too old to play the Joker. So you knew who he was at that age, and yes. you were a bit concerned about that. Yes. Because I thought he was like... Like a serious actor. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think he was going to take this, you know, serious. So, okay. So you were... You were concerned that he wouldn't take the comic... Like, like me, you were a bit thinking that you were colored by... He was just going to phone it in. Okay, so you were you were colored by... You're like, hey, hey, I'm the Joker. How's it going? Okay. So you're saying that... Are you saying that you were a little bit concerned that it might end up being like the Batman 66 show. Where it was a little bit, they're not going to take it seriously. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When I first saw the Batman um, set visit that showed his uh, how, how he was going to look, I immediately thought it was badass. Even though I knew he doesn't look like that in the comics. You know, he's not... Oh, yeah. No, he's no, gray no. with a blue cape in the comics, but he's all black. I thought he looked... When they show, oh, when they showed the first picture of Michael the one Keaton. where he standing next to Jack Nicholson. Oh yeah, when he they showed that first picture of the two of them, mm -hmm. all my fears were 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 put to rest. They say that a photograph is a, worth a thousand words. Oh, it was it definitely lost. It was like case. this guy is dark. Yeah, he's brooding. He's what you want in a Batman. He's he's the guy. Were you? I mean. I knew who Prince was, but I didn't think that Prince... Now, looking back on it, I love the Prince music, of course, but at the time, it it didn't really... Like, the Bat Dance was ridiculous. I thought it was ridiculous. And I thought that it was not in keeping with what they were trying to accomplish in the movie. Mm. Right? However, however, it got around that, though, didn't it? It sure did. Here was a Batman movie... With a virtually that had two different soundtracks. Yes. Uh, one by the main composer, Danny uh, Elfman. Danny Elfman mm -hmm. The serious track. The amazing. The amazing My favorite track. orchestra track to this day. And a completely second soundtrack done entirely by Prince. Right. And both work. 
I, I, I still don't know if Prince's works. Oh, Prince's works. Totally. But are you saying that because it's so ingrained now in that Batman movie? Because they do their best to play snippets of it throughout the movie. They make it work because... But they don't play entire... You know what I mean? Like, they don't play the entire thing. It's not really given a big spotlight in the movie. The two... If if you listen to the Prince soundtrack as often as I have... (laughs) Right. Prince actually has his own interpretation of the entire movie. The songs. If you listen to the songs in sequence, it's the whole movie. But don't you think that... I mean... I just I, I wasn't altogether impressed at the time that they actually <coughs> excuse me that they um, my cat's lying next to me and giving me like a fur on my nose um, they didn't like, Prince wasn't big to me okay like it wasn't like I mean who was big in 1988 you know what I mean like it wasn't like New Kids on the Block or somebody who was big you know what I mean so it didn't really penetrate my mind that hey this is a big time star plus which his music was all about funk and sex and stuff that, like, when you're 13, 14, doesn't really lend itself to what's supposed to be a dark and brooding superhero movie. I just thought that, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't see it the same way you do. Maybe I should sit down and accompany it, like, that soundtrack to the movie. Maybe you're right, he does link things up. But I just thought, nah, it's, it is what it is. They just got him because he's popular and because he's a big time name that yeah. they can get. Like, like the two, the two main scenes involving Jack Nicholson, both have the the Prince music. Yes, when they're in the museum. Yes, and when he's dropping the the gas on the crowd. Yeah, well, there's also yeah, I'll agree. With you. Yeah, for the most part, those are the big scenes. Those yes, are the ones yeah, you can hear yeah. the Prince music clearly. The Prince yes. music is also peppered out throughout the movie. The, but Prince music, to... the Prince music is in the first few seconds of the movie, if you listen closely enough. Yep, you got to, you got to really listen yeah, for really the rest listen. of it. Yeah, yeah, really listen. Uh, but I think... I think Tim works. Burton had no time for Prince's music. <laughs> <laughs> but the movie was, is just so awesome and so amazing that it, it, it takes the element that shouldn't be Prince's music and makes it work. Do you think it sold any extra tickets that there was a Prince connection to that movie? No. No, people were not going to this to see to hear Prince's music. Yeah. As well as I, as well as I'm lauding Prince's performance <laughs> with the music in the movie, that's not what got the asses in the seats. Okay, um, I can vividly remember. There are certain things that in life you remember. Like people talk about where were you in during nine eleven and things like that. Cultural touchstones. I can vividly remember. And I'm, I'm currently sitting ten minutes away from where I saw that movie the first time, June twenty third, nineteen eighty nine. Um, I remember the date, I remember where I was, I remember how I got there, I biked down from where I lived. Um, I was blown away is not, is, is, is too mild and understated. It's, it's an understated thing to say. I watched the first Batman movie with these eyes of joy. And a lot of people talk about how they felt, because we're too young to have felt Star Wars for the first time, right? But obviously we're not too young to have felt Batman for the first time. I relate my experience watching Batman and the joy and love I have for that movie the way people relate the first time they saw Star Wars. It changed the game. It changed everything about this is what you can do, right? Obviously, I had grown up watching the cheesy Superman, Christopher Reeve movies. We'll get to those down the road. Oh, yeah. Because I got a lot of love for them, too. Um, And as much as I adore and love Superman, and he's one of my favorite, my top two favorite superhero characters are Superman and Spider-Man. Um... As much as I love those movies, I'm here to tell you, 
I don't know if the care and attention to those movies after the first one was given to the Superman character the way that Tim Burton, without even meaning to, gave to the Batman character. Yeah. A lot of people crapped on Burton at the time. I know this from reading up on it. That, oh, he made Batman too violent and he had Batman inadvertently kill people and um, it, it's, it's too far of a stretch from the Batman character, right? I never believed that. I thought... The reason why I love it, Harry, is because this was a Bruce Wayne who was had a lot of mental issues. He never got over the death of his parents. And you couldn't believe he was Batman because he seemed like such a frail... Mm. Like, he was so unassuming. You watch movies now and you look at it and you go, well, clearly Henry Cavill looks an awful lot like Superman. He's pretty buff. He's yeah, pretty big. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, well, you look at the Batman 89 and you go, how come this little frail Michael Batman Keaton... should have armor yes. that has muscles drawn yes. on it. I thought it was the perfect reaction for him and his mind and the way they depicted it in the movie. It was the perfect reaction to what would he do, how would he react to his parents being killed if he's going to go a little bit nuts. It even says in the movie, you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. Let's get nuts. I thought that his depiction in that movie as slightly mentally off, right, was a very valid depiction and Tim Burton even called that movie the duel of the freaks because you got twisted Joker who goes whose mind snaps and you've got Batman who arguably his mind snapped long ago right and he's barely holding it together as a person mm. so yeah I thought it was I, the, the way that they, they they casted somebody to be different similar to Christopher Reeve they casted somebody who could play Bruce Wayne and somebody who could play Batman because he plays Batman completely different than he plays Bruce Wayne. He does. He does. That's what I, and I got no problem with that, right? Well, I, I love that. What I love about the movie and what some people will tend to complain about it uh, is the fact that they had Joker, Jack Napier, kill Bruce Wayne's parents. Right. I don't have a problem with that. Because it just comes shining through in this movie, in their performances, that this Batman... He's grim. He's gritty. You can tell. He's had something taken from him. Mm -hmm. And the Joker is the one who does the taking. Yep. And that is amazing. And in a way, I mean, Joker even says in the movie, I made you, but you made me. So that kind of it loops it around into this infinite loop of revenge. Um, you could argue that after he defeats Joker, there's no need for a Batman. Which is why they call a successive movie Batman Forever. Because... What's his reason and motivation to continue being Batman after he is, he's gotten revenge and... He's and gotten... He's gotten avenged. He's gotten everything he needs out of the death of the Joker. He's right? avenged his parents. Exactly. So to speak. So there is that niggling doubt to me where it's like, well, he, he, he doesn't hang up the cape. He doesn't retire. Right? Which is what they do with Batman now. They have him retire all the time. So there's that little small niggling doubt, but that's not enough for me not to love, throw showers of love upon this movie um okay let's first off talk about the casting as we say of michael keaton um i i'm pretty sure i saw mr mom before i saw batman of course and i remember michael keaton you know the only thing i remember about mr mom is him wrestling with the uh, vacuum cleaner where, yeah. does, where does mommy keep the extra diapers <laughs> yeah and i remember vividly harry that he's sitting at the kitchen table with his with his kids, and his kid is watching Incredible Hulk, and he says, "What are you watching?" And the kid goes, "I'm watching Incredible Hulk, the cartoon show, the one that Stan Lee did the narration for." And I vividly remember that. But 
I, I guess I just didn't care. Man, I don't care who Batman is. They're making a Batman movie. I accepted it because I was a child. I said, I don't care. Make who it can be wherever you want. Well, we had to accept it. It's, it's just the, the way it is. It's like, it's like, my God, like this could be it. Like yeah. we may never get another Batman. Yeah. Movie. yeah, this is the seismic shift of our generation. Well, that's the thing. Like for these movies back in the day were so rare. It's not like it is today. The thought of sequel never entered into anybody's mind. No, we just wanted the first one. Yeah. It's just like, my God, if. If this movie isn't any good, we won't get a sequel. Nobody thought about that. Exactly, and it's the fact that, again, we were young. I mean, I was 14 years old when this movie came out. So I didn't have the jaded comic book life that kids today have, you know, where they're like, I ask them to suck. Like, you didn't have the internet to immediately crap on something, right? You had the time. The only people I talked to about this were guys like you, because you were the one who loved it. You were like, yeah, it's going to be awesome. I can't wait. Um, and, and our peer group of friends that were comic book geeks. But you didn't have the the baggage of today where you don't like things just because you don't like them, you know? Back then, it was all fresh and new. And yes, I was very uncritical. And that, that, that forms part of my love for that movie because I saw it as a child where I was uncritical and I accepted it. Now, if they came out with that movie, I'd hate it probably because I'd say, well, that's not like Batman. This is the Batman I want, and mm. Michael Keaton, what the hell is this? You know? well, also, also, if the internet existed then, that movie would be crucified. Well, yeah, also, well, back in the back in the day, because it was, like, a comic book movie, mm -hmm. and it was the only game in town. Marvel didn't have anything out. No, Marvel was going through a bad period back then. Exactly. They were going through bankruptcy and stuff. At the time. It's, not, it's not like now, where you can't just say... Oh well, I don't like this upcoming Batman movie because I'm a Marvel guy and I like the Marvel movies. Right. There wasn't anything else. So even if you were a devout, a devout Marvelite, Marvelite, you had to like the Batman movie because that's it. That's yeah. all. That's all you were getting. Because it might, it might provide enough momentum to create a Marvel movie. Exactly. That's why. So you had to throw your support. You wanted it to be mainstream. You wanted it to set the tone. I mm -hmm. agree. Um, okay, so let's first off discuss. This was a movie that was directed by Tim Burton. I had seen Beetlejuice. I enjoyed Beetlejuice. I thought that he is a visually dynamic director who has just enough of a sense of whimsy about him to realize I'm directing a comic book movie. A four-color comic book movie. And it's going to be... I thought personally that it's perfect. It's a comic book movie adaptation. Um, it didn't take itself too seriously, but it was serious when it needed to be. Uh, the characters were villainous and over the top. It, it just, to me, it was just like reading a Batman comic, right? Which is, I find, they, they, they missed the boat now. Marvel does a great job of it, but DC is missing the boat. Like, I don't want, like the Nolan Batmans, I don't want Batman to be real. Don't prove to me Batman could be real. Yeah. I know Batman's not None real. None of these guys are real. But that's the thing, the Nolan Batmans go out of their way to be like, well, he could be real. Yeah. But, but he's a fantasy character. I don't want him to be real. I watched the original Batman movies, uh, uh, you know, Tim Burton movies, with a sense of wonder because I know this is this is an exaggeration, right? Gotham City, there's no city that looks like Gotham City, right? Like just all these 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 gothic look about the city, um, and the Art Deco look about it, and I, I enjoyed it because it wasn't real. It was like they lost that sense of fun in the mo in the modern stuff because we as comic book fans, it looked like it looked like a comic book, exactly. We as comic book fans grew up, and they're appealing to people our age now. They're trying to make it 
hyper-realistic. Same thing in comic books, same thing in comic movies. They're trying to make it, oh, this is believable because it's, like, real. But no, I don't want it to be that. Like, that's why I enjoy the old Batman TV show because I know it's not real. It's whimsy. It's fun. Mm -hmm. That's why I love com uh, the Avengers. Yeah, the you, take, you take all the Marvel movies. None of that stuff is real. Exactly. It's colorful. It's bright. It's, 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 that's what I want in my comic book movies. So, when you look at it, Tim Burton was the perfect director. Like, don't you think that Tim Burton... A lot of people crap on him. Like, I know Kevin Smith craps on him and say, like, oh, he didn't know what he was doing and he didn't, he didn't have a love for the source material. Tim Burton nailed that movie. Yep. What, I don't care what anybody says. Mm -hmm. So, do you think any other director would have given it that sense of unreality, that sense of excitement and that sense of colorfulness? Mm -hmm. I don't think any other director... I think that the, the, the approach would have been more serious and it would have sucked. Mm. If any other director had a go at that movie, I don't think we'd be enjoying all the movies we're enjoying now. You're going you're gonna to give that. You're going to say it's that. I'll agree with you that it's like the Big Bang. Right? If if that Batman movie never took off the way that it did, mm. everything else would not have happened. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Okay, so you, you... I mean, I had no problem, as I said before, I was young, so I was uncritical. I knew that Tim Burton was directing it, and I was okay with that, because I had seen Beetlejuice. I knew that Michael Keaton was in it, and I was okay with that because I'd seen Mr. Mom. I didn't know much about Jack Nicholson, but I was okay with it because I knew he's a big-time actor that everyone knows who he is. Michael Keaton, great. The suit, great. Everything seemed to be working out really well. Then you look at the secondary cast, right? You look at Robert Wool, and you're like, man, I'm, I'm loving this character, right? Like, just this nosy, stupid-ass, funny reporter who just goes around and says what's on his mind. I yeah. love the fact that he had no filter. I Knox. love the fact... Knox was great. Like, I don't know why they haven't brought Knox back in the comics or the successive movies because Knox was friggin' great. I was like, man, he's he's the everyman guy who's commenting on things in this movie that he's like, well... Like, when he walks in and says, look at this, King of the Wicker people. Mm -hmm. That that was just a throwaway line he, he made up himself. He, he is an everyman guy, mm -hmm. but with a just a hint of something that makes him exceptional. Because when when the crap starts going down, he actually gets a baseball bat and starts swinging it at the guys at the balloon. <laughs> he does, yeah. He does. He got a backbone. He, he tries backbone. to do something. Yeah, I'll agree. He has a backbone. Uh, the original plan was for him to die. Eh? That was the original plan. That he was going to be gassed in that attack and just dropped it. And the producers uh, liked his character enough. And they, they, they felt that fans would like the character enough that they just kept him alive throughout the rest of the movie. Which I, I appreciate because I was like, well, he's the everyman character. If he dies, the Joker wins. You know what I mean? Like he's That's our right. he's our gateway into this world because he's one of the first characters that you're exposed to because he's the one who's on the trail of Batman long before anybody else even. Did. It's true. It's true. And now uh, I mean, I mean, you got to assume that the gas did get some people. Oh sure, yeah, it did, yeah, yeah. But lots you know, of people. But you know, no, but just background people who don't really make a difference. <laughs> what did you think of um, Kim Basinger in this movie? Did you think that her Vicky Vale was... Because I was familiar with Vicky Vale from the comics. Did you think her Vicky Vale was a valid Vicky Vale? Did you think that she was a good... Did you think... Her, I thought her chemistry with Robert Wall was really good. Yeah, she was She was spot on as Vicky Vale. Um, she had good chemistry with, uh, with Knox mm -hmm. and Michael Keaton. Did you think it was... I thought it was a bit much that like she just... 
She even says, I can't believe I slept with you, because, man, she gives it up pretty quick. For a comic book she movie, does. she gives she it does. up pretty quick, man. Uh, I gotta be honest, I gotta be honest, like, she does a really good job at, at least the way she portrays it. After, I mean, after she finds out about, you know, Bruce Wayne and Batman and all that right. stuff, you know, and she says, I gotta know, are we gonna try to love each other? And for that moment... Batman is torn. He's like, man, I don't know if I... Man, maybe I shouldn't be Batman. Yeah. Maybe maybe I should let someone else handle this. Yeah, yeah. And he even says, I'd like to, but he's out there right now. I've tried to avoid all this, but I can't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can just quote this movie all that long. Oh, and that's the best part about this movie. <laughs> the fact that it's so highly quotable. Yes. It's just so memorable. Like, I've seen the movie 600 times, at least. Um, okay, so... Casting-wise, perfect. Sean Young was almost cast as uh, as Vicky Vale, I believe. They had another Vicky Vale. Like, she was going to be, and I think she heard, she was on a horseback riding scene and she heard her back. Yeah. At the last minute, they cast a Kim Basinger, like, as a backup. Um, no, I'm sorry, it was Michelle Pfeiffer, I think. Well, no, wait, I'm, I'm getting wrong. I'm trying to think of the, back, the background story. I think Sean Young was going to be Catwoman, I think. And then that didn't work out. And Michelle Pfeiffer was going to be... Got the um, role. Got the role, yes. But I think Michelle Pfeiffer was supposed to be Vicky Vale in that movie. But oh. Michael Keaton was going out with Michelle Pfeiffer back then. And he didn't want her in the first Batman movie because it would have been too much of a distraction. He actually was like, just cast somebody as my love interest. Um, okay, so getting to the main villain. that I, I found the problem with the success of Batman movies was that they crowded it with villains. The first movie was so good... Because you had an equal amount of time given to the Joker's origin. One villain. Yeah, one villain, right? All the best superhero movies only have one villain. Why do you feel that is? Because you you get to go in depth with with things. You're not you're not spending time wondering, oh, well, why is Penguin doing this and why is Catwoman doing this? Why is the Riddler doing this? Why like is Two Face doing all like this? Like you always mock when it comes to Spider Man Three. When they when when Venom is like, hey, you wanna team up? That's literally what they do, though. I mean, come on now. We'll we'll get to that one. Yeah, we will. Yeah. <laughs> hey, guy, do you two want to team up? Hey, buddy, you want you want to get Spider-Man? <laughs> I sure do. We're gonna have fun with that one. Yes, that's one of the big ones coming up. Um. All right. So, I mean, obviously, as a fanboy, it appeased everything I needed it to appease. Critically looking at it now, decades later, with the love and care I have for it, it's it's hard to... Like, I actually physically feel ill if I try to knock that movie. That's how much I love that movie. Because I will not knock it. Like, I don't care if people talk about this was crap or this was bullshit. I'm like, listen, shut your fucking face. Because if you watch that movie often enough, and you pay attention to the dialogue, everything lines up. Yeah. Everything that people shit on... Lines There's the nothing up. to knock in that movie. Nothing. People to talk about the machine guns when he drops the bomb in the Axis Chemical Plant with the uh, remote control uh, Batmobile. How'd you feel about that? Because as a kid, I'll be like, yeah, I can see that. Because people say, oh, he indiscriminately killed people. I don't think that he did. You know, they knew the cops were coming. I didn't right? see anybody die. Well, uh, just because we didn't see it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Yeah, but I mean, okay, yeah, okay. Batman doesn't use guns. Fine. Whatever. What he does with the Batmobile. It's a small tweak. It's well, a, he used the machine guns a few times. Yeah, that's a small tweak to the character. He has machine guns mounted on the Batmobile and the Batwing. He shoots at the Joker. Yes, he does. The Batwing. 
he uses the remote control Batmobile to blow the gates down of Axis Chemicals when he goes in and drops a bomb on us. Um, are you okay with that? He's not gunning down innocent people, so there's no harm and no foul. Well, they don't the actually... The people he's gunning down, if he is deliberately trying to gun them down, I'm not saying that he is. Right. They're all criminals. Alright, but there's also the... It's not made clear if he's got loaded machine guns or if they are like mercy bullets or... Yeah. Like they might... They I'm giving them the pass because they might not actually be lethal weaponry he's using. Because when he shoots the door... When the Batmobile shoots the door down of uh, Axis Chemicals and, and pours on in, that, that might just be concussive forces. The bomb that goes off does destroy Axis Chemicals. But there's no... You don't know if there's people there involved. They might have gotten out in time. And there's no reference to it later. It's not like the Joker says he killed all my henchmen. There's none of that, right? The only one using lethal force is the Joker. Bob, gone, right? Exactly. He uses lethal force. The Joker actually says, where does he get those wonderful toys? To me, that always meant he's using non-lethal weaponry, right? Mm -hmm. I never, as a kid and even now... I'll make the case that I don't think what Batman does with weaponry. It's not that Batman doesn't have guns. It's that he doesn't have guns that are lethal. Exactly. Is, I guess, the point I'm trying to make. Yeah, it's, okay, so it's such a, a big departure from the comics. Because Batman comics doesn't use a gun no matter what. No matter what yeah, the but he uses batarangs that are, like, equipped with stuff. He uses gap, uh, 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 grappling guns. Yeah. Like, he does use stuff that fires. Batman has a laser. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Yes, he does use stuff that fires. So I think that the, the the debate is that is he using a gun because his parents were gunned down? But Batman, like to me, it's like Batman's using BB guns. Is probably the best way to put it. That he's using non lethal weaponry, projectile weaponry. Oh, he wasn't using he wasn't using BB gun bullets. <laughs> he blew up the Axis Chemical Factory. <laughs> no, no, he wasn't. But again, you have to say like, did he know there was anybody going to be in there? Right? Mm. Did he just assume that the henchmen were going to get the hell out of there? Yeah, well... Yeah. Like, I'm giving him the pass, like I said, giving him he's the pass. Get, he's getting the pass, even... Okay, if this Batman uses guns, mm. fine. So, okay, Tim Burton even... So, Tim Burton isn't familiar enough with the source material to realize Batman doesn't use guns. But, but, but Tim, Burton, Tim Burton didn't write it. Sam Hamm did. Well, there you and go. And Sam Hamm... Sam Hamm takes credit for the 90% of that movie. The stuff he doesn't take credit for is the stuff everybody shits on, which is uh, he had Vicky Vale, he had Alfred bring Vicky Vale into the Batcave, right? I I have a bit of a problem with that. Yeah, I do, but I think this Alfred is depicted as more of a father figure Alfred who just wants Bruce to be like, dude, just get laid, man, like just just be normal, right? So I think he made a judgment call of I'm going to introduce this girl. He's like, he tried to play like a uh, wingman. He tried to set yeah. the tooth lump. In order to do that, he said, I got to bring Vicky Vale into the dark secret that Bruce Wayne is back This, Because he's the, not going to do it himself. Exactly. This is an I Alfred. I gotta be honest, I'm giving it the pass. I shouldn't, but I am. No, I agree 100% what you're saying. This is an Alfred who takes action in Bruce's social life. He, he's He's not like... He's, he's not like Michael Caine, who just sits back and has fantasies about meeting Bruce Wayne and his wife in Paris. Maybe he gets married. Maybe he has children. Alfred is out dragging bitches home. 
for Bruce Wayne in the first Batman movie. That's <laughs> true. It's true. And also, I feel, back me up on this one, okay? There are some scenes that lend credence to the notion that Alfred is doing what's best for Bruce Wayne, not what's best for the Batman uh, mission. And I'll give you an example. He says in the night that Vicky Vale finally shows up at uh, the Wayne Manor, he's telling stories of Bruce when he's young about how he fell off a horse and hurt his leg and blah, blah, blah. So he's basically a father figure right there. And when he goes to bed, he says, I'll clean up in the morning and he goes to bed. Vicky Vale says, like, oh, like, I already like Alfred. And Bruce says, yeah, Alfred's great. Alfred basically raised me, right? Another scene later, well, actually beforehand, I think, um, when he doesn't cover for Bruce. When Bruce says, I'm not going to be around. And she says, I'll see you when you guys get back. And Alfred goes, back, we're not going over. So I think that this is an Alfred who isn't necessarily on the side of the Batman character and the Batman mission. He cares more about Bruce Wayne, the person. Yeah. He's more concerned with, I want Bruce to have a relationship with Vicki Vale and be normal, right? I think that he tolerates that Bruce is going to be Batman, but I don't think he actively supports it. I think, he, I think he's concerned more than anything else. He's a more loving, generous, father figure type character as an Alfred. And that's what I wanted my Alfred. That's yes. my Alfred, damn it. He cares. I don't want I don't want Alfred who works for the special forces, you know, who trained yeah. Bruce. Like I don't want I that. could be Batman, but I don't wanna. Yeah. I don't you want do it. Yeah. I want my Batman or my Bruce Wayne or, excuse me. My Alfred to be more of a father figure, yes. Right. Like the way he should be. So uh Michael Goff played uh, uh Alfred in that. He was an older Alfred. Yeah. Uh, classic British actor. He was in Doctor Who multiple times. Um, that, for a long period of time, was my Alfred. Now, I, I believe he still is. I think he's my Alfred more yes, than any well, I mean, other Alfred. He did play the character in four movies. He did. And and on Star commercials and a Coke commercial. That's right. I'll never forget the Coke commercial. We seem to be down to our last Diet Coke. A gentleman is on his way to pick some up. No, this particular car is going to be hard to miss. And it shows the Batmobile going into the store and pick up some Coke. <laughs> I, like, I, I like the one. I like Loved the one. it. I, I like the one with the, when they did it for uh, Batman uh, Batman Forever. Is it getting drive through again, sir? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the OnStar one is the best. OnStar, yeah. how can we help you, Batman? <laughs> now, I'm going to bring up... You, you say you don't like to knock the movie. I can't knock that movie. There is one... It's I perfection. Have, I, uh, not quite. It's perfection. There's one thing in it that I all right, okay. that I take issue with. Okay, all right. One incredibly cheesy moment in the movie. Okay. To me, which they could just cut it out, makes no sense, get rid of it. Okay. Batman and Vicky Vale finish doing the deed. Oh, you! I know what you're she talking about. She gets okay. up... Looks yeah, up yeah. and he's and he's hanging upside down like a bat. Yeah. In the thing. Yeah. I hate that. I hate that. That to me that there's no need for that to be in the movie. Whatsoever. Okay, now how am I gonna defend that? Go ahead. Defend it if you can. Okay, alright. This is my convoluted way of defending that, okay? Here it goes. Back me up. Okay. Sports figures, hockey players, athletes, are told by their coaches. That if something big is coming on, right, big game, big game, don't have sex. 
you hear football players be told this, okay? Because it'll weaken your legs and it'll weaken your stamina. He obviously clearly just railed Vicky Vale. He's still a bad man. He still has to get out there and fight, fight some crime. I'm going to defend it and argue that he's not asleep. He's doing some stretches to keep his legs getting some circulation yeah, going. That's in the legs. not what that is. No, that's, that's, that's how I'm going to defend not it. What that that's is. how I'm defending it. We're supposed to look at that and think, oh, he really thinks he's a bad. Yeah, but that's how. That's, that's the only way I can defend it. Yeah, I agree. There, it's a weird there's scene. No defending that. There's I agree. It's that. a weird scene. I agree with you. It's a weird scene. Um. I thought that when I watched the movie the first time, I thought that's weird. Yeah, you know, like I, I that's the only one I don't have a problem with. I mean, I don't mind when they do the gratuitous like bats in the bat plane up against the moon. Thing. Loved it. Come on, that's here. the best. That's, that's the best. great. Yeah, yeah. But I mean that the part with him hanging upside down like like he's a bat like asleep like that that's just a little silly for me. <sighs> that's just a little too much. I was okay with it. I that's okay. like, well, he really thinks he's a bat. Let me ask you this, like, when you first see that movie, even now when I see the movie, like, I know that the suit that they gave him is very cumbersome, and he wasn't able to turn his head. Oh, yeah. Didn't that make it look more cool? <laughs> you know? When he first confronts Joker, and he can't turn his head, and he's fighting off the, the henchmen and Axis Chemicals. That first... The way he moves... Yeah. It's almost like, you can tell he's constricted in the suit, but it makes him look cooler the that, way he's moving. That first Batman suit... Is my favorite Batman suit. Yeah. Even though he can't turn. Like, even the fact that he can't turn the head. Mm. That's what I love about it. The fact that he can't turn his head. This Batman is so tough, he gives himself a disadvantage. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I can't turn my head, and I'm going to still whoop that ass all day long. (laughs) Um, Okay, so, do you think that, a lot of people knock it and say that it was the Joker movie, and that Joker stole the show. I disagree. I think there was an equal amount of billing for both of them. And I think they equally got some origin story stuff. And uh, I think they equally had some good storylines. I don't know if I can agree with that one. No? no I, think the Joker, I think the Joker got a little more out of it than Batman did. I know that that's the case. I know that that's the perception, but the reality is that Jack Nicholson himself, like, he had a compressed time schedule to make that movie. So they filmed a whole bunch of stuff with him. Oh, Definitely. And I think that that... I don't think they intentionally walked into it and said, we're going to make this um, the Joker-heavy movie. The the villain-heavy movie. I think it was circumstances-wise, you only got Jack Nicholson for X amount of days, so let's do everything we can with him now. And I think the translation of that is, yes, there's a bit more material. But I, I still think... It's not like they... They didn't ignore Bruce Wayne's character. Like, you know, he had sex. He played with his toys. He had a, you know, there was there was a, a whole scene where he had the fundraiser, like he was the host of the fundraiser. There's lots of scenes with him and Alfred. I thought it was fine. There's there scenes where he's, um, and I love the fact that there wasn't much flashback. It shows him visiting his where his parents were shot, putting the roses down. But they didn't go into detail on the flashback. They have one flashback, we're good, right? We don't need a whole movie generating flashback after flashback. I love the fact that they were... They, they, they reined it in on the flashbacks. They made their point. He was murdered. He was orphaned. Uh, I should say he, he was orphaned and his parents were murdered. And they moved on from there. Loved it. Loved it. What do you think of, um, of Commissioner Gordon? Do you think Gordon was good in this? Pat Hinkle? Yeah. Oh, he was great. Yeah? I love, I love his voice. I don't like the way he looks, but I like Commissioner Gordon's voice in that movie. He had a gruff... I'm on a ticket of life. <laughs> he had a gruff, like, Chicago beat cop kind of Yes, movie, exactly. Yeah, he did, yeah. 
And of course, we can't. We we would be remiss if we didn't talk about uh, 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 what's his name, uh, Porkins, um, Eckhart. Eckhart. Yeah, but I'm trying to think of the actor's name. Um, I'll think of it as we go. Wait, he was the guy who played Zed Porkins. Yeah, I didn't know that. You didn't know that Porkins was also Eckhart. Think no, about, think about the future. Mind blown. That's <laughs> Porkins, man. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, William Hookins. Man, he doesn't have he doesn't have good luck with characters. <laughs> <laughs> at all, do we? Yeah. Um, he was memorable. He was obviously made to be Harvey Bullock. Yes, but, totally. Uh, the bank cop, you know. Mm. Uh, he had some good lines too. Oh know? yeah. Like, his interplay between him and and, and Jack Napier. Yeah. Was really good. I don't Eckhart, take, think about the future. I don't take orders from you. Like you know, it's just yeah. oh boy, oh boy. Ah, uh, Bob the Joker's goon. Your thoughts on Bob the Joker's goon? Man. Bob, man, he's. I remember good. he had an action figure. <laughs> he, was, he was like the silent hero in that movie. Yeah, man. He was good. He was really good. He he, man, he owned every scene he was in. Did you kind of roll a tear when you liked Joker shot him? Oh yeah. Because it was like, obviously they were trying to make Joker out. Oh, man, he was like your best guy. Yeah, they were trying to make Joker out to be like kind of desperate by that point, just mm-hmm. frustrated. But I, I actually was like, aww. Because Bob was like, you know, memorable. I was like, I liked Bob. And what about what about Jack Palance? Oh, God, Jack Palance. Um, he chewed the scenery too much. But he was supposed to. I mean, yes, it's a comic book movie. But I, I could have done with a more malevolent crime boss. Because yeah, he's made to be Rupert Thorne, right? Like from he the is, comics. but I don't think he was like he was treating those guys good, so he could treat them bad. That's what he did to Jack Napier. I I thought that obviously it was pretty clear that Napier was chumping him out because he was Dooley's girlfriend. Oh yeah, and he was literally like taking over yeah the group. He was basically going. He was chumping boss. Jack up, right? Because he set Jack up, but I I thought. I thought Jack Palance was good, and I thought that his scenes were good, but it could have really been anybody, and I kind of was wanting him to be a bit more malevolent, because he came off as, I don't know, he just, he had the presence, but I think he could have done with some more scenes. Maybe if he had some more scenes, I would have thought he was really great, right? He only needed that one scene. The scene, the scene where the Joker comes back. <laughs> it's me, Sugar Bumps. Um, okay, so... We're, we're attesting to the fact that this is a fine production, basically. It is my favorite. Everything about that movie is my Batman, right? It's it's my Batwing. It's my Batplane. Uh, you know, like, it, it, it's it's my Batmobile. How awesome is the Batmobile? Oh, that is my like, favorite Batmobile. That's my favorite Batmobile, yeah. The Batmobile is not a tank. It's not a tumbler. It's not whatever. The Batmobile is long, sleek. It has armor, mm-hmm. yes, and guns, mm-hmm. but it's not supposed to look like a tank. They did an entire scene where Batman stands and stops the Batmobile and then has it shielded. And I thought that was amazing. Yes! I thought, you're doing a whole scene showing how awesome the Batmobile is. Exactly. Right. Because it doesn't look like it's bulletproof. Exactly. But it is. And it looks all space age and friggin' like... Like, when you take... It's you, very unique. When you take Nolan's Batmobile, oh, it's a tank. Oh, obviously it's bulletproof. Yes. But yeah, when the boys take shots at, at that Batmobile, uh, Michael Keaton's Batmobile, you don't know but the bullets are gonna fly right through the window and get, like, Batman right in the face. It had such a great... Like, the whole movie, both Gotham City and the design of um, 
but the Anton first designs of, of Batmobile, all of it is Art Deco. All of it is meant to be Metropolis, 1930s. I don't oh, mean yeah. Metropolis. I don't mean Superman Metropolis. I mean the the movie Metropolis. It's meant to be an Art Deco style from the 30s and 40s, and it works so friggin' well. <laughs> like I just thought, this is exactly what I want in my Batman. All all Batmobiles are better than uh, than than what was in the first Batman comic book ever. Where, where Batman just drives like a regular car. Yeah, sedan. Yeah. Well, actually, he drives some kind of a sedan in the... It's just like a weird guy, like a master <laughs> driving a <laughs> <the> car. <laughs> Stop to the light, you see Batman. He does that in the um, in the 40s movies. Just drives a car. Um, now, listen, I love the 60s Batman. Quick Batman too. to the sedan. <laughs> I love the 60s Batmobile too, but I'm here to tell you, my favorite Batmobile is always going to be... The Tim Burton Batman. Absolutely. Um, okay, so when you finished the movie, right, when it's done and over with. I smoke a cigarette. You smoke a cigarette. Do you feel that is the most complete story that they could possibly tell? There's a beginning, middle, and end. All of the dialogue lines up. There's no gaping plot holes. Uh, everything gets tied up the way it should be tied up, I feel. Um, in a way, they kind of made it tough to make a sequel, right? They did. They did because they said, "Well, you got a complete story, right?" Because he gets the girl at the end of the movie. Yeah, and well, he um, gives her up, but he gets her. Yeah, yeah, but he didn't. But you don't know that until Batman Returns, right? Because she's with Alfred. This movie ends. They're together. Mm -hmm. Is there still a Batman? Yeah, that's the question, right? And that's why I don't know if they knew there was going to be a sequel. Like, I don't, I don't think that they understood. I think that they walked into it going, it's going to be big, because it's a Batman movie. But I don't think they were ready for the global storm that would occur. Because, I mean, that was the first time I ever noticed, wow, he's on every magazine. There's dinkies. There's merchandise. Trading cards. There's everywhere. Everything was Batman. I remember the summer of 89. Batman everywhere. Now, granted, the summer of 89 is the greatest summer of any movie series. Like, all of the movies were great that summer. Um, Ghostbusters 2. Um... Indiana Jones, Last Crusade, uh, Batman. It was an incredible summer. I have a Lethal Weapon 2 or 3 in one of them. Um, but Batman, of course, was the shining star. And that was... Uh, I think they're still living off the... As you say, like, that's the big bang. Like, if, if Batman hadn't have cracked the way it did, we wouldn't have this stuff now. Exactly. Right? Because Superman, by that point, I mean, you had Superman 4... That wasn't bringing in boatloads of money. <laughs> that wasn't bringing in tons and tons and tons of merchandise, you know. All right, so we're going to start off this debut podcast lovingly rendering our thoughts on, on the 89 Batman. In future installments, we're going to be a bit more critical, but we wanted to start off with something we both mutually loved. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. All right, so let's turn over to, from from Batman 89 and the memories and the, and the moments of Batman, um... Let's turn over to something that's modern. Let's turn over some Marvel. Current Marvel. Let's go over some current Marvel. Now, current Marvel, sir, that's another one that's kind of bulletproof. It's hard to be critical of current Marvel. Because, by and large, they're doing things pretty darn well. Like, I'm enjoying a lot of what they're doing. They're, Marvel is just working on a whole different level mm. than anybody else right now. I mean, they've... I mean, okay, they have shows on regular television, on Netflix, on the movies. That universe is all interchangeable, yeah. and it interacts with each other, and it does it well. In a living, breathing way. Yes. 
Um, it is a multimedia juggernaut. That's what Marvel is. Um, I want to primarily focus on Agent Carter, right? Oh, yeah. That's what's currently that's, going that's on. That's what we're going to be discussing. So, Agent Carter, uh, first, firstly, um, would you say that it's kind of perfect in the sense that it gives you the flavor of the 40s with the Captain America first Avenger movies? Yes. And it gives you the, um, the fallout of what occurs with Cap dies and the fact that Hydra is still out there. The fact that there's so many secretive things from back in the 40s and 50s. And the fact that Haley Atwell as Agent Carter is great. <laughs> like, as a female protagonist, she's great. Absolutely. I love she's a woman living in a man's world. Yes. And she has to prove herself and just, you know, she's got to prove herself. Like, she's... I mean, she's lost everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, Captain America... Supposedly dies, mm-hmm. and uh, she was in love with him, and she had to go on. And not only that, but the war was over, so she has to find herself in a post-war, and and she's working for the strategic scientific reserve that are like as they say in the show, that's going to get phased out because that's a that's a World War Two organization, and there's more stuff out there, and there's other organizations that you know uh, that that red that um, what's his name Red Foreman. Um, Mm, What's his name? Uh, Whatever his name is, Red Foreman. Anyway, yeah, Uh, Red Foreman from that '70s show is a guest star, and he's 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 intimating that he's trying to pluck the uh, bosses to leave Strategic Scientific Reserve because they're going to shut that down. So she's working for what is potentially going to be a dying corporation, a dying uh, group, and she's on the forefront of all this stuff, and it's like she's a woman. And it is truly a man's world because every character in it that's a male treats her like Jarvis. treats her like garbage, or they want to screw. Except her. for Jarvis. No, they want to screw her. There's a lot of there's a lot of sexual tension in that show. She she potentially could screw any of the guys in that show. Oh, she could. They totally. all have something for her, right? They all do. Um, yeah, Jarvis probably is the main one. Like, I'm kind of surprised that they even have Jarvis have a wife because I guess that's the triangle they're trying to create. Because there's an awful lot of sexual tension with her and Jervis. I don't get that. You don't, don't get the sexual tension? I don't see that at all. You don't think there's sexual tension with her and Jervis? I don't. I think they're just good friends. Wow, man. I totally get that there's a big thing going on there. I, I truly believe there's something going on there. You think she's going to hook up with Jervis? Yep. Yep. I, I think something's going to happen in Jervis' can't, life. Can't see it. Ah, right, well. well. Who would you think she's going to hook up with? She's not going to hook up with the chief, Sousa. No, no. Well, she wants to. Uh, yeah, she does, but he moved on. I mean, right now, she's interested in in that doctor. The doctor, yes, yeah, that's not going to go anywhere. Doctor Wilkes, yeah. that's not going to go anywhere. Um, well, he's also insubstantial as well, so he physically can't do anything. Yeah, well, yeah. he'll come back. Yeah, probably. He'll figure um, out. Howard Stark is pretty smart. Yeah, I love Stark. Stark's great. <laughs> I love Howard. Stark. Dominic yeah. Cooper does a really good job. He of does. Howard Stark. Yeah, he really does, man. <laughs> do you remember in the episode where she's in his car? <laughs> And she hits a button, and she falls back, and she goes, is that a mirror? <laughs> I love the fact they're playing up how he's a playboy, right? I love that. Um, okay, so you're looking at all the different Marvel TV shows. I didn't think Agent Carter, when they first said, okay, we're going to make an Agent Carter TV show, I thought, well, there's not... How much material are you going to get out of that? Ah. You're going to have her pining away over Captain America. But here's the thing. But it's really good. They're, but they're going to be... But they're going to go smart with this. Like what? That one, the first season took place just after the war. 1946, 47. And now this season, they're 
takes place in the middle of the 49, 50. communist era. Yeah, yeah, the Red Scare. Who's the starting to get up to that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the McCarthy. All these, all these shows are going to take are eventually going to lead up to her present modern day. Yeah. Modern day. Well, not too modern because she's she, pretty old. She's pretty well. A spoiler: She's not going to be around after the next movie. No, I, I assume. Yeah, they, well, you've seen her. You've seen her pretty much be on death's door in the Captain America. Yeah, well, so. apparently, Civil War starts off with her funeral. Well, I can see that, Jeff. Well, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, so, but that. but because we know that she lived to this era, they can put her in any time period that they want. But don't you find that that is a problem when you're watching TV shows where the characters have script immunity? You know, well, we've already seen her death. In the future, so nothing you can do to her is going to be permanently. You know, you can't kill her off. So doesn't that kind of like in the back of your mind, you're like, "Well, she's going to get out of this one, right?" Like no matter what nah, happens. No, that doesn't. No, nah, that really doesn't bother me. Doesn't? What most superheroes are? What most superhero TV shows or comic book TV shows? I assume they're going to get off. <laughs> so it's yeah, like. I guess. <laughs> um, okay. Do you think that she's capable of carrying that show? She has been. Capable of carrying that show on her own. Like, she's the main protagonist of the show. It's about her adventures. And do you think it's a good balancing act to have her be subjected to so much sexism? Because it's, it's pretty blatant, man. They're, they're basically like, yeah, but listen, skirt, get me a cup of coffee. That's the way it was. <laughs> that's the way it was back then. I know. It's, just, it's awesome to, to see that, right? It's, so, it's mm-hmm. awesome to see it depicted in that way that... Even now, today, as a comic book fan, I'm not going to go out of my way to watch female protagonists in TV yeah. shows. But she's a different story. But she's I mean, really all good. these guys disrespect her on a daily basis. Yes. And she could easily just turn around and break their jaw in like three <laughs> different places. Yeah. But yeah. she doesn't. True. She has restraint. That's true. And she, she, gives, she gives good humor about it. You know, like she just, she shrugs it off or makes a sarcastic comment. Mm-hmm. I think that she's one of the strongest written characters yeah. in Marvel. I think that they really do a lot of a lot of good job with depicting her character mm-hmm. as being a stubborn, independent woman. I, I, I do. Yeah. I love the retro flair of that show where it's all forties and fifties, fedoras and G Man, you know, like I yeah. love that. Um I wish they would introduce more of the fifties Marvel slash Atlas Comics characters. Oh, you I want to see bringing in people like... Uh, like, like the human... Well, I don't know if they can Like the wizard or like... Yeah, yeah, like yeah, totally, man. Yes, absolutely. Like, why can't they show the old 1940s Human Torch? Even Toro, you know? Like that... The Invaders. Like, I, I don't know what Marvel stands with those characters. I don't know because the Human Torch is with Fox uh, and they show Toro, Right. Well, no, no, I think they could get away. Uh, I, they could, they could get away with the with the Human Torch one, I think, because he's not technically he's not the Johnny Storm. He's not the Fantastic Four one, right? The only one who I think they can't get around would be Namor. God, could you imagine if they put Namor in? Because where Namor is, oh my God! Because where Submariner is technically a mutant, he falls under. Yeah, but that's only because the Marvel made him a mutant. Yeah, but that's it. He falls under. He, he falls under that so You're saying Marvel fucked themselves. They did. <laughs> they did. Where Namor's technically a mutant, Fox can get up any time they want to and say, uh-uh-uh, he's ours. But do you think that they're missing the boat? I mean, I understand there's a, long, there's a long-form game plan for Marvel. Marvel knows what they're doing ahead of time. So if they're going to make a TV show, okay, we're going to depict the TV show in the 40s and 50s 
we know ahead of time what we're going to put in because that's going to link up to something now. Absolutely. Do you think they're missing the boat on the material that they could cover from the comics that you would never see otherwise? Like from the 40s and 50s, such as the Avenger, or I should say no, the No, the way they're doing it now is... Like, wouldn't you love to see Union Jack in the show? Oh, sure. Like, totally. that'd be amazing, dude. Totally. But, I mean, the way that I understand how this season is going to work, in particular for Agent Carter, hmm. something or some, and it just might even be something small or minute or whatever, but uh, the rumor definitely is that somehow this season of Agent Carter links into Doctor Strange. Well, it does because of the Dark Force energy. Yes. Right? Because they don't call it that in the show. But no, it's zero it's, it's, matter. Yeah, it's Dark Force. It's the same stuff that powers Darkhawk. I love the... Um, and, and Cloak and Dagger. I love the fact well, that... Well, at least Cloak from Cloak and Dagger. I love the fact that the main villain this season is Madame Mask. Yeah, that was kind of weird. Like, I knew it was as soon as they mentioned her name, Whitney Frost. But I was like, Madame Mask is like an Iron Man villain from the 80s and like mm-hmm. she's a dark haired woman who has no connection to this character in the 40s they just took the I don't like that but Marvel generally is pretty um, pretty good with like with keeping it consistent with the comics and the movies but they just in this case drew a name out of a hat and said well call her Whitney Frost she'll be Madame Mask like who knows if she's even going to become Madame Mask we don't know if she is right I she's cute <laughs> I like her well, I mean, they got the hints there. Like, the mask was right there on her nightstand. Yeah, I hope they go with that. I hope they do. Well, um, I would say. Do you feel, though, because we were talking about Batman and, like, the Joker getting a lot of screen time, am I supposed to dislike Madame Mask? Because i got to tell you, when you're showing her tragic backstory of her mother being basically a hooker and her being raised to be really smart and, like, you know, just in a, in a man's world again, it's a very feminist show, Agent Carter is, She's kind of just like Agent Carter in the sense that she's taken for granted and she has to pretend to be this bubble-headed blonde to get somewhere. Even her mother says, you'll never get anywhere with your brains, it'll be by your looks. And I'm watching it and like she can't afford to go see a movie mm-hmm. and escape her, escape her life. Exactly. And you know the woman gives her the free ticket. I'm thinking, am I supposed to dislike Madame Mask? Is she like a villain? Well, she is To me, bit... she's kind of a tragic hero. No, not really. Because, I mean, now that the Dark Matter... Has like taken her over, right? And it's messing up her face, right? Which she's been taught all of her life that it was so important, right? So now, oh, my looks are gone. So why not start murdering people? Like really? But the whole point of her character is that she's really smart. Like she was depicted as studying and being really good in science and like doing all her homework and everything. So and they even say like that's a cover. Her idea of being the glamour, like like Chief Souza says, like this is a cover. That Whitney Frost is a cover. She's actually like this really brilliant scientist. I just thought only on Agent Carter could you not give me a black and white villain female, right? To me, there's enough screen time given to her because she's married to that buffoon, right? That buffoon governor fella. Oh, yeah. There's enough There's enough of a backstory for me to sympathize with Madame Mask. She's not like the Red Skull where she's flat out a villain. She's actually got a backstory that you could say, hey, I kind of, I kind of in a way sympathize with her. Right. I, I just maybe they're doing that by they're clearly doing it by design maybe she'll turn more evil later well maybe well, but so far she even says she says to her husband I clean up all your messes right maybe maybe she's only succumbing to the dark matter maybe that's what it is now yeah maybe that you're right maybe that dark matter is going to further corrupt her right and and force her to kill more people who knows um I, I gotta tell you man it's a really good show and it's they're smart in the sense that they know 
that the ratings won't yeah. hold up for a full season. Well, so I'll, they're making it a, a, a um, mid-season replacement. I want to see how they're going to deal with her because, I mean, now, like, Peggy Carter is good and all, but, I mean, now, this is someone, for lack of a better term, has actual superpowers. Yeah, that's true. So what's she going to do against her? It's true. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. You're right. I do like the fact that Marvel always will be willing to show their characters get their asses kicked up sometimes. Not like DC, where DC, like, everything, everybody's unflinching and Batman's, like, beating up Darkseid. Well, you know? Marvel like, is, at least in Marvel, they'll show... Marvel has always been about the human factor. Exactly. They'll show, hey, sometimes you lose. Even right. when it's about the X-Men, it's about the human factor. It's like, man, humans are assholes <laughs> to these mutants. That's true, yeah. Um, so, okay, your, your, your thoughts on... Like, I'm not watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I probably should catch up on it. I'll get to it eventually. Especially since we're doing this podcast. But did they do it this season the way they did last season with Agent Carter, where they had stuff that directly fed into Agent Carter? Is there any correlation between Agent of Shield taking a break and Agent I Carter think taking, I, taking on? I think that Dark Matter stuff is the same. And maybe I'm wrong. But it is supposed to be the same. I stuff. think that Dark Matter stuff is the same stuff that that rock is made out of that's like sucking people into that other world. Yeah, it is. It is. It so, is. so that's the connection. So, okay, so Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. does indeed have Dark Matter. They're dealing with Dark Matter now. Oh, yeah. Okay, all right. So there is a connection between the two shows. And kind of, yeah. Like, okay, do you remember that big that big rock that they found on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? No, because I haven't watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. since then. Ah, okay. I haven't watched that in like two seasons. All right, well, there's a big rock or whatever, and it ends up sucking uh, Agent, um, what's her name, Agent Simmons okay. to like a, another world. okay. And she has to survive on, on like this harsh alien planet. She's gone for like weeks, okay, All right. and finds like this other guy, on on there, and like they end up getting together and like whatnot, and they they rescue her. But it, but it's a whole thing. But I think that that's the same. I think that's the same thing. Okay. All right. Um, I know from just reading up on it a bit that it is meant to be like they they, they call it zero man or whatever, but it's meant to be the dark force stuff that powers. Like I said, it powers Cloak of Cloak and Dagger, and it's what Dark uh, Dark Hawk uses, and the evil Dark Hawks. And how will it tie into Doctor Strange? He uses it somehow. He uses it. He either the villain would use it, wouldn't he? Well, you would think Baron Mordo. But I thought Dormammu was going to be Dormammu. Yeah, I thought Dormammu was going to be the hidden villain in this. Oh, Dormammu will be the villain. That's what I think. Yeah. So I would assume they might even have it that he's from the dimension the stuff is from. Mm-hmm. Right, the uh, you know the the, the um, what is it they call it uh, the their dark dimension? Is that called dark dimension? Yeah, the dark dimension is dark dimension. There you go. Um, yeah, so I think that it all will tie together. I just I think that Agent Carter is great because it's a limited series, and I think that they wouldn't like financially it'd be hard to replicate those many uh, retro costumes and cars and stuff that often. Uh, number one and number two. I think that it being a limited series means that you're not being overwhelmed by so much Marvel stuff. There's only so much Marvel stuff they can put out in one time, right? Before people start being like, look enough. There is too much of a good thing. That's true. Um, that's why I've sort of taken Agent Shield off the, off the grid for me. I'm like, I'll get to it, right? Because yeah. I'm already watching, I mean, there's Daredevil and, you know, like there's, there's, there's um, Luke Cage is coming up and like all these... Netflix shows, Jessica Jones. It's like, don't, don't, don't flood the market. 
This is what happened with comics in the 90s. You flooded the friggin' market and you destroyed oh, it. Oh, no. So don't flood the market. I, You and I will always disagree on that, man. <laughs> I know. I'm like, Marvel, Marvel comic stuff, television, movies, man, like the Vita Rays, man. Bombard me <laughs> with the Vita Rays. Do it. Let me ask you this. Wouldn't you think it would be a great storyline um, in Agent Carter if they brought in the fake Captain America from the 50s? Wouldn't that be amazing if they actually did that? The evil racist Captain America? From yeah, the, the one who beat up the communists and it went nuts, yeah. Yeah. I guess. Well, that'd make, what a story that would make. But then you would have, you'd have to like cast Chris Evans. Wouldn't that be something if Chris Evans like showed up to be the evil Captain America? I think... I think Although it, he was a different it guy. Was fine, it was fine for like the comic books and that to like have that. But I mean, for the cinematic Marvel Universe the way it is now... Mm. Because, I mean, everybody made such a big deal when, ooh, Captain America <laughs> returned. And, like, what if you got, like, people who just remember Captain America putting, like, a black guy in a headlock or something? <laughs> and, like, bashing a communist in the face. And he's like, why is everyone so happy about Captain America being back? He was a dick. True, true. All right, so let's round off, sir. Agent Carter is great. Um, my expectation level was really low when that show came out. And I was pleasantly surprised at how good it was. Haley Atwell is quite capable of being the lead in that show. Mm -hmm. She's gorgeous. She's tough. She's funny. They really depict her really well. I like the supporting cast. I love the fact that all those guys were war heroes. Um, I love the nods to the um, Howling Commandos have been in it. Like I just, I, I like it. I think it's a good show. Like I said, I hope with Agent Carter, I hope they do progress it like a little bit into the future. Yeah, like by decades. By the decade, yeah. so that we can see. Where Hobby Tony Stark gets inspiration from Jarvis to create a computer program after him. Yes. Yeah. yeah so that'd be yeah. kind of cool yeah. to see. You know. You mean Howard Stark does? Or Howard yeah. Stark? Yeah. Um, my only concern about that is that the ratings have dipped a bit for Agent Carter. That, I mean, I don't know if a limited series, it still gets like five million hits. So I don't know if it'll ever be canceled. Especially since it's Marvel and ABC and Marvel are like co-productions. Uh, so, I agree with you. They need to progress it, right? They can't keep it in the 40s slash early 50s forever. Yeah. Like the show has to move forward to show the... She's the one character you can show the decades yeah. for. Well, I mean, I mean, look at her appearance in the first couple of minutes of Ant-Man. Yeah. So, I mean, like, yeah, all they had to do was just age her up a little bit. Well, yeah, 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 I agree she, with you. She still looked pretty good. She looked pretty good. <laughs> and yeah, well, for life. All right, so uh, let's round down, sir, uh, by saying, boy, we're not critical of that either. We'll eventually get to stuff where we're critical. Oh, don't worry. The critical <laughs> stuff will happen. Yeah, yeah. Batman and Robin's coming, folks. <laughs> um, all right, so casting call. Here we are. Every episode we're going to do our, um, our thoughts on a character that either has never been depicted in uh, live action or has rarely depicted in live action. Characters that are should be mined for further stories. Uh, we'll try to link up who we think would make a good actor slash actress for these characters. Um, recently, uh, you came up with a conception for casting for the DC character Sandman. And we're not talking about the Morpheus We're not Sandman. talking about emo, Morpheus yeah, Sandman. Yeah. I'm in your dreams. <laughs> Neil Gaiman Sandman. No, I'm talking about classic Sandman. The guy with a gun yeah. and a gas mask. Yeah. He goes out and he busts heads and fights crime. French coat and a fedora. Exactly. 
Uh, the the uh, the cult uh, pulp Sandman, basically. Oh yes. Um, so we are friends with a uh, actor who uh, um, is mostly primarily appears in horror movies, but he has done other things. Uh, the actor's name is Bill Oberst Jr. BillOberstJr.com. Actually, I think it's just BillOberst.com now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill is a thin, uh, creepy, um, very very um, like his voice. He's capable of just. Depicting so much with a with a raspy, creepy voice. With a, just a whisper. Just a whisper. And I when I when I've read Sandman in the comics, to me it's always come across as that's how he talks. He talks in like a whispery, kind of creepy, monotony kind of type of voice. Um, plus which when you do see him in the comics when he's Wesley Dodds, um, he does look like he could be Bill. Right, he's a thin kind of wiry dude. Exactly. Um, so when you came up, with, well, first off, explain how you came up with the thought uh, of you would cast your, the last your place, friend Bill O'Burst as Sandman. The last place where I always try to think of Bill O'Burst Jr. is in bed because I want to be able to get a good night's sleep. <laughs> right. uh, however, I was just lying in bed the other night and the idea came to me. It's like Silver Age Sandman, <laughs> Bill O'Burst Jr. <laughs> Like, wow! <laughs> this is amazing! And then you thought more about it the next day. And then you, you posted it to me on Facebook. And I said, oh my god. I never made the connection between the two. But wow. That's a pretty damn good connection. Not only that, Harry Weir. But when we presented, hey, this is our, this is our uh, dream casting for the Sandman. We told Bill about this. It turns out, in a weird, bizarre, coincidental way, that we didn't even know, Bill's a big fan of that Sandman. To such a degree that he actually dressed up and did a bit of cosplaying as a, um, as a test for, for um, I don't know, some movie or something, where he actually wore a gas mask. And he looked just like... He was perfect. He was perfect. I was like, oh my God. Like, it just so happened to be that this guy could totally be Sandman. So I'll post the picture. Um, I guess we can put that in our show notes, can't we? We can put a picture of Bill as a character meant to be Sandman uh, in our show notes. Um, all right, so that's food for thought. Like, I'm sure that they will. Didn't you say that they're going to be doing Sandman down the road with Legends of Tomorrow? They are. They are. I think they're going to beat us, man, with, to, with the casting. Well, like I told you, he was in Smallville, like one episode. Yeah. Right, years and yeah. years ago. So, But I just, it's, it's not the fact that these characters haven't been depicted in, in, in live action. It's the fact that they haven't been depicted well in live action. Exactly. Right? Exactly. I just I think that Bill O'Burst would make a great Sandman in, say, a limited series with Sandman. Right? Yeah. He'd be telling, like, he'd be telling the bad guys, like, he's in their house and, like, all that stuff. <laughs> right. He even said he likes the idea of the gas globe, the billowing smoke. It just would be so, the imagery, I can, I can it just. It would be so him. It would be so him. Yeah. It's a great way to put it. So, again, I'll put the uh, picture that he did a test uh, screen for. Uh, we'll put that up into the show notes of the show. Uh, Harry, this is our debut episode. We were rather uh, geekingly uncritical of the things we talked about. But we promise, folks, in Wait the future, there's going to be times when you and I disagree very, very strongly with some of the things that we're going to be talking about. Uh, movies that I like that you didn't and vice versa. Characters that you got no time for that I do and vice versa. Um, but suffice it to say, we generally are, you know, 
On all a lot of things. Mostly on the same page. Mostly on the same page. There are times when the laptop will get thrown. Uh, Watchmen. Share. Oh, talk about yeah. Watchmen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. common. That's common. Uh, Spider-Man 3, I don't like. I'll talk about that at well, length. Well, let's not give them too many previews. But let's just say, the stuff that you and I disagree on is pretty epic in its own right. Absolutely. Yeah, it absolutely Absolutely. Is. All right. So where can people find you, Harry Weir, uh, on that social media thing? Uh, you are on Twitter. I am on Twitter. I am at Harry J. Weir. I am on Twitter as well. I am at, uh, well, mine, my, mine is uh, at Marshall Lush, M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L-L-U-S-H. Uh, that's my middle name. And rather than be Shannon Lush 12358, because there's lots of Shannon Lushes, I decided I'm just going to be Marshall Lush, and I'm the only one. I am the chosen one. I'm like Neo. I'm the chosen one. Uh, if you like this show, by all means, let us know, however way you can do so. Uh, you can message, well, just message us on Twitter. Like, you know, down the road, we'll probably create, like, a um, like a Facebook thing or a Twitter thing for this for this uh, mm-hmm. podcast. If you've got any ideas or suggestions on what you want us to talk about, right? If there's a TV show you thought we that, that we're going to love to talk about, by all means, let us know. Movie. It just has to be science, It just has to be superhero-related. It's got to be superhero-related. As long as there's capes and cows. And even then, Watchmen Proof doesn't always have to be capes and cows. Oh, boy. <laughs> he just has to be big blue dick. Oh, boy. <laughs> as long as it's superhero-related, we're on board. We'll watch it, and we'll review it and talk about it, whether we liked it or hated it. Uh, I hope people have uh, enjoyed this, and uh, this is a fun debut show. Like, we got almost an hour and a half, too. Yeah, this, and it didn't even feel like it. No, that's pretty good. All right, until next time for Film Fan Foom, I'm Shannon. And this is Harry.